morning, Fairfax. Hello, my name is Josh. And my name is Andrea. And we just want to welcome you. We are so glad that you could be here, whether you are watching online, out in the great room or in the hangar, or you're here with us in the blue seats. Welcome, welcome to you. And if this is your first time, we would love to meet you. If you're here in person, we've got Fairfax Connect out in the lobby. Um, I'll be hanging out there. Some of our other staff will be there. We'd love to meet you online. We've got a new here button. Let us know you are here. Uh, we'd love to follow up with you. And we just have a few announcements for you uh, before we continue on with the service. There's a lot of incredible things going on here at the church. This past week, we had an event called Camp Grow. It was all week long. We had 125 campers and 80 counselors for our Camp Grow. Yeah, give it up for that, yeah. And uh, all week long, it was like detective theme and they took over the whole building. And uh, God, there's just, there's just amazing stories of how God worked in the lives of these kids. And, and, and through these teenagers who were leading and serving um, and just, just incredible. Um, and so we're celebrating that, but the fun is not over yet. We have uh, clubhouse, let's see, fun house, clubhouse fun days. Okay, there we go. Fun house, whatever. So clubhouse fun days, and that starts July 13th. And it's gonna be eight Wednesdays in a row. And it's for preschool aged kids. Come hang out with us on a Wednesday morning. We got some for you parents too, and it's gonna be awesome. So you can learn more about that on our events page. And also Fairfax, we have um, posted a, a new role, a new position on our staff. It's brand new, it's for an online pastor. And um, we are super excited about this. Uh, you know, as you know, we are living in a world where online realities and online community, online engagement, and that's just becoming more and more prominent. And we as a church want to be able to engage the culture with the good news of the kingdom as we always have strived to do. And so we were just, we're just being intentional about trying to think better and, and, and be more, have more capacity to disciple online, to reach more people with the gospel online. And so if you join us in just praying for the right person for this role, first off. And then secondly, if maybe you're sitting here, you're listening to this and you go, hey, that might be something I'm interested in, or you know somebody, then there's more information on our website on our jobs page. Fairfax, we have an amazing team of volunteers that make church happen every weekend. And we just wanna highlight two specific um, volunteer opportunities. So the worship team needs uh, male singers and keyboard players. So if you have a skill or a gift in either of those two options, don't be shy, come sign up to serve um, with, the, with the worship team who is amazing. Um, and so you can sign up to serve on our website at fairfax.cc. Yeah that I'm excited. I'm not going to be doing announcements anymore or anything else. I'm going to be uh, a singer up here and it'll be so great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Me, 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 me. Okay. Anyway. Um, no, I, I love singing and praising to God, but I'll be doing it with you guys in the seat. So uh, anyways, <laughs> um, so on July 13th, we have a free Bible workshop called One Book, One Story. And whether you are maybe new to just trying to figure out how to read the Bible and all that, or maybe um, you're just wanting to rekindle a passion for God's word, this is a workshop for you. And you can learn more about that and sign up on our website. That's July 13th. Okay, so the things that your kids outgrow, like clothes and toys, they can be something that's um, 
that can be used for somebody else in our community. Um, so if you have any of those items, we just wanna invite you to um, donate, donate those things um, for somebody else in need. Um, you can scan the QR code with your phone, um, or you can visit the board in the great room by the coffee shop um, to join the No Child Without Text group, and you can get updates um, about what is needed and where you can drop those things off. Sweet. And lastly, Fairfax, um, we just wanna celebrate all the ways that God is at work um, in and through this place and something that we all get to be a part of. It's uh, through our care ministry and the way that God is bringing healing into people's lives. It's through our groups that are meeting and doing life together, discipleship that's happening there. It's with our kids and our teens. We just had this Camp Grow experience that um, was just incredible in the way that we could love on these kids and teenagers and tell them about the love of Jesus. And we've got our incredible resource center that's at work in trying to meet the needs in the community where God has placed us. And then around the world, all the partners that we're globally partnering with. And all of this is possible because of God's provision. God's provision through the faithful tithes and offerings of those of you that call this place home. So thank you so much. My wife and I um, strive to be a part of that. We strive each year to give more generously than we had before. Uh, and we're not always perfect, but when we do that, uh, we experience God's presence and his faithfulness in our lives in ways that we hadn't before and just have a deepened trust in him through that. And so thank you again for all of you who give um, truly. It is uh, just incredible. So thank you. That's all we have for you. Um, join, join us in just praying uh, just over this service before we hear the message. Father God, you know us. You know each and every story, God, that's listening, that's here with us in person. And Father, um, you know what we're carrying, God, all the things. And um, Father, we just pray, God, that you would um, invade this space. God, you would invade every online space, all the spaces here in the building, God. We pray that um, your presence would just be here, God, with us, that we uh, that through your word, this gift of your precious living word to us, God, that, may, that we would be uh, made different, God, that we would be encouraged and challenged to, to live more like who you created us to be. And so, God, just uh, we give you everything that we're, we have and we're carrying with us, God, and, and we just want to be fully present here with you. God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us that we could just be here together, all together online and in person as the body of Christ. And so God, we give you this time. We love you so much and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, Fairfax. Good to see you. Um, hello to everybody here in the sanctuary and hello to all the folks watching us online today and to everybody over in the hangar in the great room. We are so glad that you are here. We uh, worship and celebrate together as uh, one family this morning. So it's awesome to be here. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Kyle, one of the pastors at the church. Um, spend most of my time with our middle school and high school students. And that means that, yes, I was at Camp Grow um, all week long. And um, I know we talked about that a little bit more, but I've got pictures. See, I got pictures. I wanted you to see some of the things that we did this week. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about Camp Grow because it's unbelievable. Um, it's an amazing effort. Um, first, by Fairfax Kids, um, our children's ministry. Um, it starts with them. 
um, kind of figuring out the vision and the theme and all that and goes forward. And like Josh said, we had like 125, 130 kids here. And then we had almost 90 counselors. And the counselors are our fifth and sixth graders and our seventh through 12th graders, okay? And they were incredible. They spend the week with your kids, hanging out with them. We have big worship in this sanctuary. Um, then they go to different stations where they learn about God and do crafts. And of course, there's the snack station. Without snacks, we perish, right? So we had the snack station, that was great. Um, and then after that, around noon, the kids leave. In the afternoon, we eat lunch. And then all those fifth and sixth graders and all those middle and high schoolers, they stick around and they do service projects all week long. We, um, we helped out with some folks in our church to do some lawn work. Um, we cleaned out a garage for, some, for, for another ministry. Um, and uh, we washed cars for, um, for people in our community, um, social workers, police officers, um, one of our values um, in our ministry is that we try to support those who are supporting people in our community. So they could bring their car by and get it washed. We washed dozens of cars. We changed 600 light bulbs. How about that, huh? You're, I know it's like you're at home and you're like, like, someone says, hey, can you change a couple of light bulbs? And you're like, oh, I don't want to change any light bulbs. You know, 600, that's a lot. Um, we trimmed Every bush between here and Fair Oaks Mall, okay? Um, we did so much this week. Our kids just crushed it. They were incredible. Um, at night, we had, yeah, that's, that's, that's Chris Kim grew a mustache. And Izzy, that's amazing. Um, they were just great. And then at night, um, our middle and high schoolers hang around, and we do a worship service and teaching time. So it's like an 8.30 to 9.30 day um, all week long. So we're all just a little tired. But I've um, got energy for you guys this morning and get to hang out with you, so I'm glad. But will you join me in just giving it up for our children's staff and the rest of our youth staff? Um, we love your kids. Um, they were awesome. Um, we just love hanging out with them. And so it was just a, an incredible week for us. Um, we're going to start this morning as we wrap up our time in Ephesians. We've been in this book for a while. We're going to start this morning in sort of an unusual way, something that we don't normally do um, in this church, I don't think. Um, but we're going to start with a fictional conversation that I want to read to you between two demons. Are you with me? A fictional conversation between two demons, okay? So I just want to read this a little bit to you, and I promise it's going to make sense in a few minutes. Here we go. My dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Don't misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees a local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book 
containing a liturgy with which neither of them understands. And one shabby little book containing corrupt text of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and in very small print. Keep everything hazy in his mind now, and you will have an eternity wherein to amuse yourself by producing in him the peculiar kind of clarity which hell affords. Work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. The enemy allows this disappointment to occur on the threshold of every human endeavor. It occurs when the boy who has been enchanted in the nursery by stories of the Odyssey buckles down to really learn Greek. It occurs when lovers have got married and begin to real talk of learning to live together. In every department of life, it marks the transition from dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. He has not been anything long enough with the enemy to have any real humility yet. What he says, even on his knees, about his own sinfulness, is all parrot talk. At bottom, he still believes he has run up a very favorable credit balance in the enemy's ledger by allowing himself to be converted and thinks that he is showing great humility and condescension in going to church with these smug, commonplace neighbors at all. Keep him in that state of mind as long as you can. Your affectionate uncle screw tape. Some of you um, recognize that right away as a work by C.S. Lewis called The Screw Tape Letters. C.S. Lewis was a theologian who wrote many different things. Um, this is one of his books, and he offers us this one side of this conversation between these two demons, an uncle and um, his nephew, and he's giving the nephew all this advice on how to be a better tempter. Okay, he's the chief tempter. He's training his nephew to be a better tempter of the human soul. And I wanted to start with that this week because we're going to get into some verses today in Ephesians that kind of go there. They kind of get into this spiritual realm. They talk about things that sometimes seem a little bit confusing about us. We're trying to figure out whether this is alliteration, whether this is specific, what are we supposed to take from that. And we're going to get into that in a few minutes, but I want to go back for a second so we know where we're at so we can end on the right note. Remember what Rod said in the first week of this series. He talked about the book of Ephesians being broken into two halves. The first three chapters are the um, gospel story, right? Um, kind of figuring out how did we get here? You know, how did we get to history of this moment where Jesus comes on the scene and begins to teach and give us knowledge? The last three chapters are about how this gospel story should impact us. You know, how should it change us? How should it affect our lives and our behaviors and um, our attitudes and our relationships, our community and our nation? And Paul makes this transition from the first three books to the last four by using one simple word that signals something important in our minds, and it should signal something important. He goes, therefore, right? Saying all this stuff, and then he goes, therefore, and you know what's coming, therefore, Get ready to do these things. Get ready to think about these things. Get ready to take on these things. Get ready to practice these things. Therefore, Paul says, and we go through chapter 4, we go through chapter 5, and then we get to chapter 6, and even though Paul has said therefore once, he drops another therefore on top of us. 
We've already got one where we're supposed to think about all these things and do all these things and, 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 and practice all these things. But then he raises the bar one more time. He says, therefore, it's a double whammy, two scoops of ice cream, double ply, double bubble, double mint, double jeopardy, double trouble, double take. Like as in Paul, what are you talking about? <laughs> There's more? There's a lot more that I have to do? Double, okay? Therefore, in addition to paying attention to these things, pay attention to this. Now let's read it together, okay? This is where the beginning and these verses are gonna come together. So we're gonna read Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Check it out, I'm gonna read it and I want you to follow along. It says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with, with you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whatever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul, we've gone through these six chapters of this book, this this letter that he's written. So we get to the end, Paul says, look, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world. Now, some of you are like, oh boy, are we about to become a weird church? Are we about to go to some place that's gonna be like, make me uncomfortable and freak out and weird? Well, one thing that's against you is I'm here, so yes, probably, I'm weird, okay? Um, the other thing is you might be thinking, are we gonna go there? What's gonna happen? What does this mean? But here's what's really important, okay? Paul, who wrote all this, believed in a spiritual realm. He believed in this spiritual realm enough to tell us about it. And by the way, so did Jesus, okay? Paul believed there was a spiritual realm around us. So did Jesus. In fact, Jesus spent a large portion of his ministry, you know, as we read through many parts of the gospels, in direct conflict with this spiritual realm, directly confronting demons that he named, right? They had names and they would approach him and give him his name. They knew who he was. He knew who they were. He directly named them, right? So this was a real reality. And Jesus spent his whole ministry talking about how he was freeing us, right? Freeing us from, from what? It meant that there was something and something and some, some things that were floating around, some things that were present that are kind of holding us back. Jesus freed us 
from things, right? He spent a lot of time talking about that. So Paul believed in this unseen spiritual realm. So did Jesus so much that he was fighting against it, and we saw him name these things. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I have no problem believing in the Bible. I have no problem believing the accounts of Jesus um, and his disciples encountering these demons and dealing with them, right? Um, But at times, you know, I have read through these things, maybe like you, and wondered, what is this really? Is this for word for word verbatim that I'm supposed to believe? Is this, what is going on? Is it alliteration? Is it more than that? What is it? Um, And I was reading this guy this week, an author, his name is Josh Wester, and um, he kind of struggled with it like I do, or maybe you do. And he had this to say, which I just thought was really interesting. He said this, he goes, the devil is smart and knows that any apparent manifestation of demons would upset the modern zeitgeist of skepticism. I still think this is true. Probably the biggest mistake the enemy could make in the age of secularism and unbelief, maybe where we're at now, is to plainly reveal the spirit world. So he's saying maybe the reason that we don't maybe necessarily see that in our everyday walk with Jesus was because if it happened, more people might, um, might be ready to accept it or, or not accept it. You know, we're like, wait a minute, how can that be? We don't see that as a normal thing. Here's all I know. <laughs> Um, as I've wrestled through this to figure out what Paul meant by this. And I think there are four dangers when it comes to dealing with verses like this and taking verses like this in and applying them to ourselves and making them real, okay? Four dangers that I think go along with this idea. And here they are. See if you resonate with any of them. Danger number one is this. Assuming that all things that happen to us that we don't like are just bad luck. You know, like whatever happens to us, we just kind of go, well, you know, it's just bad luck. <laughs> it's not anything else. You know, just life. It just happened, whatever. You know, there's no meaning behind it. It just is what it is, okay? That's danger number one. Danger number two is assuming that our own poor behavior and choices have nothing to do with where we are in life and with Christ. It's, you know, the devil made me do it. Right? It's like, that's your explanation every time. You're like, well, you know, had nothing to do with my personal choices or anything I did. The devil made me do that. You know, I just am a puppet. I can't do anything about it. Danger number three, assuming that the devil is behind every single corner, waiting to trip us up, and it's always, always spiritual warfare that's to blame. Maybe you've known people who assign everything to spiritual warfare. They attribute to Satan, you know, every, every inconvenient circumstance. Oh, I've got a dead car battery. Oh, it's a traffic jam. Oh, gasoline is $5 a gallon. Oh, wait, that is the devil. Um, sorry. <laughs> and danger number four is forgetting that we live in a broken, sinful world. These are four dangers that I think we have to think about and apply as we think about these ideas today. C.S. Lewis himself wrote in the preface of that book, 
of the screw tape letters. He wanted to make sure that um, he wasn't tripping people up, and he said this. He goes, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to fall an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. He's saying we can be too shallow in that and too heavy in that. And those are both (laughs) mistakes. Those are both mistakes. And he adds a little bit later on, which is going to become important, that the devil is a liar. So Paul, throughout Ephesians, refers to the believer's life as this struggle, right? It's this thing that's going on. Um, It's a fight. It's warfare. Forces that don't want you to succeed and live a successful life following Jesus are present. And he's going to end the book of Ephesians with this list of weapons because Paul lays it out as a fight. So he's saying, here's some weapons that you can use in this battle against that. In chapters four and five, Paul goes through all these things that he urges us to be, that Christ urges us to be. He says, be humble and gentle. (laughs) Strive for peace. Avoid corruption. Speak truth. Don't give the devil a foothold. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger. Avoid sexual immorality, greed, and foolish talk. Live wisely. Don't get drunk on wine. Submit to one another and more and more and more. And then in chapter 6, he tells us more about how to do that, about what is available to us to be able to accomplish those things. Verse 10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. And then he talks about this idea that we talked about just a little while ago as we read through those verses about putting on the full armor of God, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and your feet being fitted with readiness of peace and with um, the shield of faith and all of these things, right? Um, There's a translation of the Bible. It's called The Message that maybe some of you have read. Um, Every once in a while, I like to pick it up and read it because it puts the language Um, into maybe a little more modern text, um, and it gives us a a way to sort of maybe understand things a little more deeply and clearly. I want to read part of that to you about these verses. Here's what it says. It says, hey, God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. Learn how to apply them. A couple of things I want to get into before we talk about these six pieces of armor that God gives us. A couple of things Paul says that are super important. One is this. Um, He says, stand firm. In verse 10, he talks about standing firm. Now think about this for a second. Paul's not saying when life comes at you, when troubles come, when issues um, come to your life, he's not giving us the option of fight or flight. He's only giving us the option of fight. You know, you've heard fight or flight, right? Are you going to fight 
or are you going to fight, <laughs> right? And Paul's saying, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, if you're going to move down that road, you're going to have to fight. <laughs> There's no flight. It's all about this fight, and it's coming, right? We have to stand firm no matter what comes our way. And then he says this. He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He's not just saying, look, toughen up, learn more scripture, be more devout, do more service projects, come to church more often, be a counselor next year at Camp Grow. Actually, he is saying that, so if you want to help us, you're in. Okay. Um, He's saying, look, stand firm, but you're not standing alone. You're going to stand with the power of Christ. It's not about you. We're not going to win, but we can win with Christ flowing through us. He's saying, be strong in the Lord. Paul is saying in these last three chapters that there are ways of applying the gospel, and here are the tools to do it, and Christ is going to walk alongside you with that. He's saying, put on all these things, and that's how you fulfill that command, to be strong in the Lord. The gospel message that Paul taught now for these six chapters is that you and me, we can't do it on our own. We're weak, but with Christ, we can do it. And we have to remember that along the way, the devil is already defeated. We've won this battle. It's over. We've won it. Doesn't mean he's not active. Doesn't mean that we're not going to trip ourselves up. Doesn't mean that we may misunderstand and lose hope and backtrack, but... The battle is won. The power of Christ is alive and well. And so I want to walk through these pieces of armor and um, give you a a context for for what they mean and what they can mean in our personal lives as we live them, as we try to apply these things, um, as we walk forward, not on our own, but with Christ. So I want to talk about those. The first one is the belt of truth, okay? The first piece of armor that Paul mentions is the belt of truth. Now, remember why we're calling, kind of talking about armor, and it's like, well, that's kind of weird. Where did that come from? Paul, remember, was in prison, and he was being guarded by likely a Roman centurion. He may have been handcuffed to him, so he's real close. You can see them. Paul knows <laughs> what it's like to be near a Roman centurion who's dressed in battle gear, right? And what scholars believe is that he, he in this moment, He took what he saw before him and turned that around into helping us understand the tools that we have to fight this battle. So the Roman centurion would have been wearing these things that we're talking about, these articles of clothing that Paul made into something better and bigger for us. So um, he first talks about this belt of truth, okay? And for us, um, we need to understand that the belt of truth and the belt for a Roman centurion and a person in battle, the belt is key. Okay, the belt is key. Um, It holds together all the other pieces of the armor. All the other things kind of attach to that and allow it to stay in place. So it's key. And for us, the belt of truth represents integrity. Okay, the belt of truth represents integrity. And integrity is knowing and doing the truth. Right? It's knowing and doing the truth. So the first thing that we need to put on is this belt of truth which represents integrity. It's the belt that holds everything together. If your life isn't based on truth, it's going to fall apart eventually. 
You know, we might be able to go along for a long time before it collapses, but it's eventually going to fall apart if it's not based on truth. So we need integrity. We need moral integrity. We need relationship integrity. We need financial integrity. We need sexual integrity. We need integrity in every single area of your life. Now, don't get hung up on integrity meaning perfection. You know, we're like, oh, man, I've got to be absolutely perfect in every single thing in all these areas all the time in order to be, you know, wearing the full armor. We want to do our best, but it's not about perfection, okay? Um, no, if, if, if it's about being perfect, then no one's got integrity, right? Nobody is perfect. Integrity is not um, compartmentalizing your life so that you don't appear different ways with different people, okay? Integrity comes from the word integer, which means unit of one. It's like integrity all the time. Work, relationships, friendships, church, we're all the same all the time. The integrity that we have flows through us. The truth that we know flows through us. It's the most important thing that holds everything together. But when we compromise that, we, we create a little crack <laughs> in the armor. We create a little crack in the armor that allows the things that we're trying to avoid to get through that compromise the truth or compromise our own integrity. It's what we need to be careful about. If you lack integrity in any area, you're going to be vulnerable. Integrity is knowing the truth, but, far, but more than that, more than knowing it, it's doing the truth, right? It's knowing it and doing it. Um, that's the one that gives you stability, just like the belt. When we know the truth and we live in the truth and we act out the truth, then we've got that stability. It holds you together, just like the belt holds all the armor together. That integrity, that clinging to the truth holds everything together and gives you incredible strength to move forward. The second piece that a Roman centurion would put on is this body armor, right? The breastplate of righteousness. Okay, they would have this breastplate that would cover all of their vital organs, right? Cover the heart, the liver, the lungs, all of these things that have pierced in a moment seriously set them back, maybe forever, right? Covering the most important things. Um, no soldier is going to go out into battle without body armor, without the breastplate of righteousness. We can't go forward, right? Our hearts need to be protected. And so what is righteousness? Righteousness is purity of heart, okay? The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is our purity of heart. So the second piece we have to put on life is purity, integrity, knowing, and doing the truth. And second, we have to put on this breastplate of righteousness, purity of heart, which means keeping our motives clear, keeping our motives clear, keeping my motives clean, having a pure heart. That's what righteousness is. He says, when you put on the breastplate of righteousness or the body armor, of righteousness, you're saying, God, I want a pure heart. I want a pure heart, and I want to have pure motives. Um, there's a verse in the Bible in Psalm 24 that talks about um, who, who's really going to be good at this, who's going to be successful in having a, a pure heart. And it says this, it says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. It says, look, 
think, think of being in relationship with God as this hill that says, who can go up that hill and get closer and closer and closer to God and understand his ways and have those ways wash over you and live out of those things? Who can do that? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Remember, it doesn't mean perfection, but a pure heart means that even when you do the wrong thing, even when you do the wrong thing, you want to do the right thing. Now, that's a pure heart. See, what's really dangerous, and I've done this, and I hate it, and maybe you've done it, is that there are some things where you know <laughs> what the right thing is, but you just don't do it because you don't care anymore. <laughs> like, I just don't care anymore. I can't do it anymore. I just I don't care. And we just move on, right? What does that do? It creates a little crack in that armor that allows that to kind of get in and maybe begin to work on us a little bit creates another little crack, right? Pure heart, it's this idea of even when we don't do the right thing, understanding that we haven't and wanting to get back to that. The third thing that a soldier would put on are the shoes, okay? Um, scripture says, your feet should be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're gonna break that down in a second. The gospel of peace. Shoes, the Roman soldier's shoes, had these things called hobnails in the bottom. I want you to pretend like you take a pair of boots and you have some long nails and you drive those nails from the top into the ground through the bottom of the boot, right? And it gives them traction. It's like football cleats or golf cleats or baseball cleats, right? Where you've got a little traction so that whatever comes, it doesn't matter. Whatever's going on in the ground, if it's mushy, it doesn't matter. You know, if it's soft, you've got traction. And so Roman soldiers would wear these cleats, okay? And they would keep them stable. You needed to be able to take a stand and hold your ground, okay? You don't want to stumble. You don't want to slide. You don't want to fall back, okay? No Roman centurion would ever walk into battle with Crocs, okay? If you're wearing Crocs right now, I'm sorry, okay? Oh, by the way, no Roman soldier would go into battle with Converse either, okay? Especially pink ones. He would never go in to that battle, okay? We're talking about having sure footing, okay? Paul says this represents peace in your life, okay? He calls them the shoes of the good news of peace. On your feet, wear the shoes of the good news. News. In other words, the shoes of good news prepare to share the gospel of peace, practicing peace. For you to stand spiritually so you don't slip, so you don't slide, so you don't stumble in the next years of your life um, and fall back on everything that you've gained, right? Um, you've got to be able to wear these shoes of good news, prepare to share the gospel of peace. If you don't want to stand in life and if you want to be able to stand in life and, and when the storms come and when the fires come and when everything comes and you want to stand at peace, you've got to be, you've got to be at peace. Now, here's what I mean. There's all kinds of peace. Three different kinds of peace here that I want to talk about, okay? You have to have peace with God, peace with yourself, and peace with everybody else. The great commandment says this, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that kind of peace where you have that peace of mind with God, peace of mind with yourself, and peace of mind with your neighbors. If you've got conflict in your life, if you have just 
battles going on in relationships, right? If that's going on with you, it, it, it opens a crack in that armor, right? It allows some things to get in and mess with that peace, that peace that you have with God, that peace that you have with others, and the peace that you have um, in life. Romans 12, 18 says this, because when you talk about having conflict with others, there's two people, right? Or there's two or three or whatever it is. It's not always a one-way street. Here's what the Bible says about what we can do and the best that we can do. He says, as much, in Romans 12, 18, as much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. As much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. So you may examine your relationships, right? You may examine what's going on with you and go, here's what I can do, but I can't get that person to meet me halfway. Okay. God says, do your part. Do your part. That closes up that armor. That makes that armor tight and allows you to move forward where there's no crack to get in. Do what you can do on your part. Paul says the fourth thing you need in this spiritual battle is what he calls the shield of faith. He says, at all times, not just some of the time, carry the shield of faith with you, for it will be able to put out all the burning arrows shot by the evil one. It's the fourth quality you need in life, okay? And I want you to think of the shield of faith as certainty, as certainty, I had someone come up to me after the 9.30 service to talk through this idea with me a little bit. I'd studied it a lot, gave me an incredible example to think of. He told me that at the time, um, the shields that the Roman soldiers would have and, and some of the fighters in, in all that time would have, these shields were somewhere near five feet tall. Okay, think about that. Now, I'm just over six feet, so I don't know where, is my head a, like a foot tall? Some of you are like, your head's way too big. Okay, um, I don't know what it is. So let's say it comes up to here. Right, five feet tall, a little bit taller than this podium. The great thing about that five foot tall thing is I could get all the way behind it, <laughs> right? I could be here and it completely protects me. 100%, nothing can get through that. And dudes are shooting fiery arrows at me. <laughs> but I'm behind my five foot shield and guess what happens? The fiery arrows bounce off and there's sticks on the ground and I step on them. <laughs> That's what... Paul is saying, he's like, you've got this shield that covers you and the fiery arrows that come at you, whatever they are, they can't do anything. You step on them and they're over. You step on them and they're gone. Um, what are the burning arrows? Mostly in our life, not exclusively, but mostly these things are mental. <laughs> these are things that we're doing to ourselves. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis um, wrote this in, in, a, in a different book, okay? He wrote this. He said, good and evil both increase at compound interest. <laughs> that is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge, a railway line, or a bridgehead from which the enemy 
may launch an attack otherwise impossible. One of the conversations I have with our students all the time when they're struggling with something, you know, some vice, something that's got them, we'll have the conversation and I'll say, hey, what, tell me what's going on with you. And they'll say, well, this temptation came and I blew it. And then we'll talk more and they'll go, and a couple days later, the same temptation came and I blew it. The same temptation came and I blew it. And the same temptation came and guess what? I blew it. And I'm like, do you recognize a pattern here? And they're like, obviously do. And I'm like, look, here's the thing. When the temptation comes the next time, the only thing that you've got with that is all these failures. So the temptation comes and you reach back to like find something to protect yourself and you dig into the bag of fail. <laughs> That's all you got. You pull it out again and you're down. I said, whatever you do, whatever it takes, whatever you need, whoever needs to help you, the 3 a.m. phone call, the honesty with a parent, the person in your life that you haven't told but need to tell, whatever you have to do to get a victory when that temptation comes along, please get it. Please do it. Because then the temptation's gonna come, you're gonna reach back, and instead of just having one thing to grab, failure again, you're gonna have, you're gonna have something better to grab at. You're gonna have victory to grab at and to pull forward and say, I've got a choice. <laughs> I can pull the bad or I can pull the good. I say, you get one and you'll get another. But if you never have something to pull back on, never have something to reach for other than the failure, you gotta do whatever you can. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like, we've gotta use these tools. We gotta do everything that we can to be able to move forward in Christ. Get some victories. The fifth thing that you need, and of course, this is what every soldier needs, it's super important, is that he puts on a helmet, okay? The helmet was probably the most important part of the soldier's army. Okay, it says this, it says you need to put on the helmet of salvation. What is the purpose of the helmet? It's to protect your mind. Um, again, this conversation that I had was so enlightening. Um, think about it this way. In battle, okay, often, the soldiers on each side kind of look the same, right? Like they're kind of wearing the same stuff. Um, and the one thing that sometimes differentiates one soldier from the other so you know who your enemy is, right, is maybe the color of a uniform, right? But back in those days, the thing that differentiated the, the, um, the warring sides was the helmet they would wear and the color probably of a plume or a painted stripe or something like that. You had the red team and the blue team. Right, and that's what differentiated it. It told you what team you're on. And here's what, here's what Paul is saying. He's like, look, put on the helmet that puts you on team salvation, <laughs> that puts you on team Jesus. It's critical, right? It's critical. It says you need to put on the helmet of salvation. And what's the purpose of the helmet? It protects your mind. The helmet of salvation protects your mind from allowing things to get in that you don't want there, okay? Um, years and years and years ago, I still am a runner. Um, I'm just old. So I can't run like I used to. 
right? But I used to be a long-distance runner, and um, you'll find this, uh, this is really funny, I told this in last service, no one can believe it, but Rod and I ran the Marine Corps Marathon together in 1999, okay? So 100 years ago. And um, guess who came in at a better time? Rod, yeah, he smoked me, killed me, crushed me by like an hour. Um, and he was mad at me because he goes, you wanna run the Marine Corps Marathon with you? I'm like, yeah, he goes, well, you gotta train. I was like, yeah, I'll train. And I ran 17 miles. That's the furthest I ever had run before I ran the 26. So he was mad at me, which is why I finished an hour behind him. But um, I used to be a long-distance runner. And, I, and so it takes a lot. It's, it's, a, um, it's a commitment <laughs> to go out and run those miles, you know, 5, 10, 15. And it takes a lot of time. And as I was doing that, I got convicted about how much time I was spending running instead of other things, Right? Especially when it came to my faith, I started going, gosh, you're spending 90 minutes running, but I think you've been in the word 10 minutes. <laughs> and so I started keeping a log of the time that I would run and write that down and made a commitment to be in the word and to do the things of God the same amount of time, right? And I would run on these long runs and I would pray one thing the whole time. And I would say this, Lord, clear my mind of unclean thoughts. Clear my mind of unclean thoughts, mile one. Clear my mind of unclean thoughts, mile two, mile three, mile seven, mile eight, mile 10, mile 15, and on a really good day, mile 17. Clear my mind of unclean thoughts. And when I got back, guess what? Man, I was, I was charged up. I was battle ready. I was good to go because I had communed with God all that time, even though it was one simple phrase, right? I was protecting my mind. And what protects our minds from evil is salvation. When I put on that helmet, which is salvation, I get a whole new mind. Salvation that protects your mind. It's the helmet of salvation. Guess what? The enemy is not afraid of your mind. <laughs> Certainly not afraid of my mind. What he's afraid of is when you begin to think like Christ. There's scripture that talks about how our ideas and our thoughts are foolish, and that we need to put those aside and think like Christ and, and think the way that God thinks through things. That's when we claim more power and more victory, when we begin to think like Christ. The last thing is the sword of the Spirit, okay? The sword of the Spirit, and that represents in our lives maturity. Now, what's maturity? Is maturity... Knowing a lot about the Bible, that's not bad. But real maturity is about knowing the Bible and, and knowing how to use it, right? Knowing how to put it to work in our lives. And Paul talks to his believers, he's like um, in another part of the Bible, and he's, he's a little bit mad at them. He's like, hey, I came to see you guys, and I wrote you this letter, and I came back around, and I heard that you guys are more like spiritual babies then you are solid food eaters. You're drinking milk when you should already be over on hard food. <laughs> you're just not digging into this enough. You're really, you're really not where I thought you might be, and you need to think about this. You need to be deeper in understanding not only what the word says, but how to put it into practice. Distinguishing good from evil and understanding how to put that into practice. And a sword is so important, OK? 
okay? Of all of these things we've talked about, most of them are these defensive weapons. You know, I can get behind the shield. <laughs> I can put on the helmet that protects me. But the sword is offense, right? The sword is offense. We're taking that forward, okay? And when you begin to apply that, when you begin to see that you've got these things that God has given you to go forward, and then you begin to understand that you've also got offense, here's what happens. You gain new territory for yourself, for the kingdom, right? It's expanding. You're expanding. You're enlarging yourself. You're enlarging the kingdom. You're going after what you want to go after in life because you're not just defending yourself. You're on offense, right? God said, I haven't given you all this armor just to stand firm and take it. I've given you a little bit more to push things forward with me. <laughs> Don't just stand there and take it. Instead, use it to go forward. Use that sword of the spirit to drive the kingdom forward. Be part of what we're doing. You know, the Bible teaches us that Jesus, um, what he gave us were the first, few, first fruits <laughs> and so much more is to come as we live our lives following him. And the role of the church, our role, as church members in the role of the church is to claim this victory, to understand that we've already won, to stand firm and to take that truth and to take that sword of the spirit and move forward. Because we have everything we need to do that. Every single thing we need is given to us. God is with us, he's standing with us. We're not doing it alone. We can't do it alone. It's not what we were made for. We were made to stand with him and to move forward. Use that armor, but also move forward in that. We need to live in the light of Christ's victory. That gives us power to live above the influence of anything. I wanna pray for you today as we finish our time together. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, You have not abandoned us. <laughs> Christ in his last moments cried out so that we may live in victory. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you for what he did so that we may move forward, carry your gospel forward carry your truths forward. Or let us choose every morning to put these things on. Not just stand firm, but also move forward. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your perfect word. Lord, help us to understand it more deeply and apply it to our lives. Be with us, God, as we go from this place. Be with us as we celebrate who you are be with us as we claim you. We thank you for walking alongside us, in front of us, pushing us. You're truly a great God. We lift all these things up and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we continue to worship together this morning?